Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Matchball. Hello, The Matchball is brought to you by Levi Solicitors. 10% off your legal fees, as always, if you go through us. It's Levi Solicitors. .co.uk forward slash the square ball. My name's Dan Moylan. Hello. With me, Michael Normanton. Hello. So is Moscow White. Daniel Chapman. Hello. Well, crumbs of comfort from tonight's game. Only major thing we can take away from that, I think, is that Frank Lampard is going bald. <laughs> I'll, I'll allow you two to laugh about it. No, no, we need your thoughts. This is this has happened to you. We, we can face it. It happens to a lot of people. Mm. What's, what's he going through right now? I mean, he'll probably go for the old... Transplants, won't he? We've seen Conte in that job, haven't we? Before um, he had, he was a bald man at one stage, and then he, he appeared back at Stamford Bridge with a full head of hair. So he'd probably just go for that. How but, far, we'll, but we'll know by then, won't we? How far do you think he's going to let it go? I think if he sees those pictures tonight, he might have to act because he'll he'll be watching those pictures because he's a very vain man and he has very few things to celebrate in his uh, his meagre life. So he'll be looking for that footage of him celebrating the third goal when the one with Bielsa in the background. He'll be like, oh, can, can, can I see that? And then he'll look at it and we go, could you maybe like, can you do that in Photoshop and then show me it again? We lost 3-1 tonight. Probably a fair result in the end because they've got loads of good players and they spent a load of money to get loads of good players and they kept putting them on the pitch. Even when they took one off, they put another one on and that didn't seem fair somehow. No, it didn't. And it wasn't fair on Little Ian Pervader, was it? When he was coming on for us, he's worth all of zero pounds that we paid for him. But oh. he was good, actually, with Pervader. I liked him a lot when he, come, when he came on. He's looking like a, a, a real viable option for us after... When he first signed, I think he sort of drifted off. He was on the bench, wasn't he, for a bit. Then he disappeared back into the under-23s. And I think people maybe thought he wouldn't, he wouldn't make it. But he looks brilliant all of a sudden. Not as good as Pat Bamford, though. That was nice. That was nice. It was a really nice start, actually, wasn't it? And if we if we take that as the proverbial game of two halves, we were all right in that first half, weren't we? We looked pretty decent, all things considered. I mean, they they still had the better chances, didn't they? But let's just enjoy the goal for a minute because the ball from Calvin as well was absolutely incredible, and it showed Chelsea's defense has actually been quite slow. Or Pat Bamford has been quite fast. I was amazed by how slow Zuma was. I, I assume they paid fifty million pounds for him because I just think that's the baseline. And even sounds players. quick, doesn't he, Zuma? And yet lumbering after uh, Bamford, and they had a little, um, a little moment with their brand new keeper, where it's like he left it to him, and he he didn't come out, and they, they panicked, and Bamford nipped in, and so I can only assume Monday morning Bamford will be on the phone to Roman Abramovich saying, 
January's coming. Like, I've lost faith in this keeper. Can't can't have him in the team. I've got to have another one. I know he was twenty two million to replace the seventy million one, but can't trust him. Can't trust him. Whereas uh, Pat Bamford, it was a nice moment for him. I'm glad that, uh, uh, especially bearing in mind the ridiculous behaviour of the Chelsea supporters in the second half, that the first thing they saw, having paid five hundred pounds to go to Stamford Bridge, um, in uh, I hope why is London tier two anyway? I mean that's a completely separate argument. Those bastards get to watch a game of football and spoil it for themselves. But Pat Bamford spoiled it for them first. Have that. First thing you see, there you go, Pat Bamford scoring against you. He used to be yours for years. You never played him. You sent him to the arseholes of the world. Burnley, Milton Keynes, Middlesbrough. Finally, he, uh, he, he found God's own county and returned to London triumphant apart from the final score. Second half was heavy going. I quite enjoyed the first half up to a point. It was fairly breathless, all of it, wasn't it? I, I, I jotted down the words, watched from behind a cushion, uh, with reference to the fact that if we had a cushion here, I would have watched from behind it. It just, it was a bit, it was right on edge, wasn't it, that first half? You were reading a book from the 1980s for quite a bit of the second half because you were trying your best. <laughs> You're trying your best not to look at it because it's stressing you out. Yeah, I, d- I do find the experience of, um, and see if you feel this as well, watching Leeds United to be quite stressful. It was airports, wasn't it? Or was that a 1970s book? What what book is uh, associated with the 1980s? Um, Brett Easton Ellis' thing. You were reading American Psycho. I was reading uh, fo- the Football Ground Guide in Great Britain. I think Simon Inglis's uh, yeah. Guide to Football Grounds. But it was a, a 1980s edition. Oh, well, I think it was sort of mid to late 80s, something like that. Because um, you couldn't stand watching Leeds United being a Premier League team. No, nah, we were just, well, we were second best that second half. I always felt we were, we had, we'd lost it. It got away from us. There was always a chance we were still in the game late on, particularly like with that, that Pervader chance when he probably should have gone down or VAR should have done its job. And given as a penalty, but you know, it was annoying that because that is a penalty, and VAR should really look at it and say, even though he has stayed up on his feet, he's gone on to take the chance. Clearly, the foul was there, and if he had gone down and they had looked at it, it would undoubtedly have been given because there was contact there. What Pervader did is irrelevant. the The defender fouled him. That's what's relevant to the penalty. So if he then stayed on his feet and had a little shot, doesn't matter. He should still be given the penalty. Yeah, you need to either. Judge it so that on in similar situations where there is that much contact, you don't give penalties, or you just give a penalty for that. Because in in other situations where there's there is very very little contact, everyone will still go. Well, there is still some contact. If it's, if the judgment is it's not enough contact to knock someone over, make that the deal for everyone. And I'm actually all right with that because <laughs> it, it kind of annoys me seeing people go down with when they don't need to, when there's not been enough to actually knock them over. But, but it's so inconsistent. The only person will ever win a penalty then will be Jack Grealish. Because he'll insist that that was enough strength. But it, I mean, it shouldn't be, the test shouldn't be, does the player go down anymore? The test now should be, does one of the billion cameras surrounding this football pitch and the 15 people they have in an industrial estate or just with nothing to do apart from watch the game from every possible angle with every slow motion replay available, maybe one of them can maybe spot the foul without waiting to, well, he's not gone down. That's not the... No, I know, but... We have to be honest about this and say that the game didn't turn on that particular decision, did it? Well, it was 2-1 well, and it was near the end. Yeah, so. and if it got to 2-2, it finishes 2-2. I don't think we conceded the third. Mm. We, would have, which, we would have been fine. Which and, isn't the same as saying we deserve anything from the game because they had chances before that to make it, to extend the yeah, lead. Okay, and, that, that's what I'm getting at, is that the game had got away from us completely and that would have been just, it had been a stroke of good fortune, it had been something we'd earned, but 
But we did stay in the game, no matter how difficult it got in the second half, and no matter that a lot of it was to do with Ilan Melier again making some brilliant saves. We stayed in the game, and there's there's a feeling sometimes when I look at Premier League results before we got into it, where teams who just come up from the Championship, and even teams who've been in the Premier League for a long time, when they come up against teams like Chelsea, who were top three last season, I think they're pretty much top of the league this season, they just either beat them 6-0 or don't. It, it's, there's not really the middle ground where there's kind of a, a close match that finishes 2-1 or 3-1. I feel like that's a 2-1. I don't want, I don't think they should be allowed the third one if it's cheating. Um, so to stay in the game all the way until the 90th minute and then they, they nick a third, no matter how difficult it might have been in the second 45 minutes, especially given how the first 45 minutes, although Chelsea were the better team, it looked to me like they could attack us and we would score the goals, which was how it felt after the first 20 minutes after Bamford had scored. We were closer to them than other teams have been able to get. And given the difference in resources, which is incredibly relevant to what happened on that pitch, um, I don't think we have anything to be ashamed of, to be upset about, annoyed about, apart from the fact that Frank Lampard, as long as he removes all the mirrors from his house, goes home happy. That is how I felt about the second half. And part of the reason why I was just reading the book was because I just thought, okay, we've lost this one. Fine, just move on to the next one. It's not because I was sat there stropping about it or concerned about what's going on. It's like, we're going to lose games and we're going to lose games against teams that have been put together using billions of stolen petrodollars. Um, so, you know, fine. I mean, that is the point. People might think that's, you know, sour grapes or, you know, you, you, you're not being fair or whatever, but Kante is brilliant. And that front line that they ended up with, Timo Werner, Olivier Giroud is a fucking great striker. That goal that he scored, you know, there's no question he's going to score that. He scored four in midweek. And Pulisic, that they had to replace the guy who went off, said they're all just fucking brilliant players. And that's why I hate Frank Lampard so much and Jody Morris's head coach. You can't tell me that Olivier Giroud is going into training every week and learning or Jody Morris has really, you know, brought him on as a player. You actually pointed out in one of the rare moments that you looked at the match that Giroud, I think it was after he'd scored, um, they went over the touchline because their player was down injured. And he was telling, he was pointing out a problem in defence to Frank Lampard saying, you need to do something about this. There's, it's not the management and it's not the coaching. It's just if you buy players of a certain ability, and it's not just about the money, they do buy very, very good players as well. Like we've seen Scum spend absolute fortunes on players like Harry Maguire and they're all terrible. Chelsea buy good players and they are they have the ability to go out and play very, very well. And there's there's only so much that Gianni Alioski is going to be able to do at left back against players of that quality over 90 minutes. And I felt like to get to, to half-time at 1-1 and be, um, as I said, I think it looked like they were going to just attack us and if we can just keep scoring on the break. Fine, but yeah, second half. Can you get the ball off Kante? Bamford tackled him. That was good. The halftime score, we have to give some credit. It's one of those Chelsea signings who cost a fortune for clearing it off the line. Incredible that was, wasn't it? Clearing it off the line and then when he still had another chance to score from his own clearance, didn't score then either. Although I think I think Melier did tip that over. Can we talk about Melier a bit? Because he had a strange game, didn't he? Yeah, remind me to talk about Alioski because Moscow mentioned him then and I made a note to talk about Alioski. But let's do Melier because... He did that kind of, that risk-takey stuff that backfired a couple of times, didn't he? There was that, particularly that um He tried thing. playing it into Ailing at yeah, one point. Yeah, with Ailing, who, by the way, did ask for it, or, or he made himself, he made a gesture with his arms, as in, I'm here. 
So whether he asked for it or not is maybe debatable, but it looked from his body language like he'd asked for it. Uh, but also made some brilliant saves to keep us in the game when we really needed it. He's incredibly good. The double save he made where he did the second one with his legs, I like to see a keeper doing that as well, just using any bit of themselves and knowing which bit of themselves they can most effectively get to it with. Whereas you see contrast of Billy Peacock Farrell who thinks he can't use his arms at points. Melier thinks, I can use all, I've, all these bits are fine. I can just chuck any, any one of these long limbs at it. He looks really, really good, apart from occasionally being terrifying. But that's, that comes from being 20 and being in the Premier League for the first time and having those instructions from Bielsa, which are difficult because he's not only got to calculate which long limb he can use to stop the ball, he's also got to play as an outfield player. So he's got to have that, that mindset going on. I mean, if you asked, if you told Pat Bamford halfway through, you've also got to play volleyball, it's, you know, he's got to learn a whole new skill set. So combining the two is very difficult. And we ask a lot of our goalkeepers. Um, and I don't mind the odd misplaced pass and I don't mind the odd um, mistake like that. It will happen. And I'd rather th- those are the mistakes he's making than he was, you know, doing a full veed valve every game. It's, there's a, there's definitely a baseline of, of quality there. And none of the mistakes he made led to a goal, did they? So we sorted them all out, even if they were risky and terrifying. So he's got and he, he's got the ability to make those saves, whereas, you know, we've seen the goalkeepers that we've had over many years, they make those kind of mistakes and just watch as the ball rolls into the net. He's got credit in the bank, hasn't he, in that respect, because he does make good saves, whereas sometimes people wouldn't necessarily save anything. Like, I don't remember Kiko making enough good saves to justify him occasionally letting in ridiculous ones. He, he made... I can remember to maybe two or three really good saves he made for us, but I can remember about eight or nine things where it went disastrously wrong. And everybody remembers the Derby playoff, so everybody's forgotten two weeks before that Ipswich away when he basically did exactly the same thing. And the difference with Melier is, even if he does make a, a mistake with his um, passing, he then plays a really good pass. So you're like, okay, so you have that belief that he's going to be fine the next time. And there was... um. Stuart Dallas headed a ball back to him that was pretty much, it was a pretty good attempt to try to score an own goal, but he knew that because we've got a really good goalkeeper there, oh, Melier will, will get this. And there will be a time when he won't, but then the next time you do it, you think Melier will get this because he will. He'll he'll get more than he doesn't. I love him. It's funny when um, when Angus Kinnear came in here and we did a bit of recording with him um, in this last few days, which is this out on the extra ball, by bit the way. Recording, you make it sound like you did some like rap records. We did. Um, we just laid down some tracks with Angus Kinnear. Yeah, we're spitting out rhymes. Uh, when we were speaking to Angus, we were speaking to him off air, we were just chatting, you know, football about the team and all the rest of it. And he said the phrase he used was um, ice in his veins, didn't he, about Melier, that he's just the coolest customer in the entire squad, which I guess is what you need in a goalkeeper. Maybe not as, as cool as Bailey Peacock Farrell can be sometimes. And again, playing behind different centre-backs as well. When, when Lorenzo had to come on, what minute was that? Was that the eighth minute or something he had to come on? It was early on, so it, any pre-game plan will have gone out of the window at that point as well for the defence. So stuff like that does make it harder. And that's been the story of the season with, you know, Cooper's been out and Stroik's been in, Phillips has been out, we've changed left-backs, um, we've changed from three at the back to two at the back, all these kind of things that Melier has just stood there and dealt with. And I think the difference is Melier has ice in his veins, Bailey, Bailey Peacock-Farrell has rocks in his veins, which isn't as useful. Maybe why he can't lift his arms, they're too heavy. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Let's pick up on that thread then, Michael, something you just mentioned there. The change in defence, cock going off in the first 10 minutes, Urente going on. He had moments of real quality, but he also had moments of, of rustiness, which is to be expected, I guess, given that he's not ever played for us before and he's probably not quite match sharp. I enjoyed his first touch, which was, I think it was his first touch anyway, it was certainly one of them where he did a full, like Jason Pierce clearance, just foot straight through it, went, went about 100 metres into the air and landed somewhere around the halfway line and I thought, oh, that's a bit different. But he didn't do that again. He looked like he was trying to do all the usual Bielsa stuff. And generally speaking, he did it quite well, despite some very weird antics going on from the crowd. Yeah, I, I still haven't figured that out. What was that about? I was trying to find out on Twitter because I thought I assumed I'd missed something, but he just seems to have made some bad tackles. But then I've never heard that the response to that to be people going, Ooh! every time a player gets a ball, weird. Why have they let the weirdest... 2,000 people in. Is it 2,000 or 4,000? I can't remember. I mean, try and find 2,000 Chelsea fans that are not weird and won't embarrass themselves. David Mellor was a... Oh no. Ken Bates. <laughs> yeah, so, um, Urente overall, a decent debut under difficult circumstances? Yeah, it was fine. I mean, you, you can't really pin any of it on him. And that hoof at the start did say, suggested that he's um, sensible, like he didn't take any stupid risks in in that regard, we, we were up against a very expensive forward line and did okay. What about our left back, Gianni Alioski, who was hooked eventually? People were suggesting he might have been hooked at half time. He's kind of on that cusp, I've noticed over the last few weeks, of being, I'm trying to be fair to him here because I want to think well of him. Um, he's on that cusp of being fine, but not quite good enough on a number of occasions quite for the Premier League he just occasionally forgets where the ball is and stuff like he'll try to he'll try to do a little turn and then he'll realise he's not taking the ball with him and they'll win it back or he'll he'll try to hit a pass that just goes wrong and there was the air shot on the edge of the box and it all just I think maybe because he does everything so fast maybe it looks a bit worse than it would if he was doing everything at like a 
I'm trying to think of a slow player. A Nigel Worthington pace out on the left-hand side. But my instinct is that we need to probably get Stuart Dallas back to left-back and mm-hmm. get Rodrigo into the team at some point. Yeah, Rodrigo's too good to not be in that side. And if it means sacrificing Dallas from midfield, then so be it. Yeah, I mean, that, that's how it's supposed to be. That's the first team. I think there's just, um, I think Bielsa obviously has some questions about uh, Rodrigo coming back from COVID and how long that's taken and whether he's got enough minutes. He was saying um, during the week about Llorente that although he's he's completely match fit, ideally he'd want to play him in the under-23s for a few games just to get him up to speed and how that's that's the process he, he prefers. And we've seen it time and time again with, with players. And I think... Um, Rodrigo is just going through exactly the same thing. And once he is at 100% capacity in Bielsa's eyes or just tips the, the seesaw so that it's, um, it's, it's more useful to have Rodrigo in the team than Alioski at left back, that's the change that will happen. And that's why I'm, I'm quite relaxed about Alioski. I could see loads of things that he was doing tonight that were wrong, like their first goal when him and I think it was Jackie Harrison both got drawn towards... Um, whoever the player was who ended up getting injured as he as he passed it and that left Reese James free behind him and there was a couple of occasions you could see him kind of his eyes flick and he starts running inside and he realises there's a winger going behind him so he has to turn around just those things that say like yeah he's he's not going to be a um, he's not going to be bothering Ben Chilwell for the, the left back spot at a top three club anytime soon but um, there's talk in the air of giving him a new contract and I hope none of what happens tonight affects that because I feel like give him a new contract and then only play him when we absolutely have to and that'll be absolutely fine because what was he tonight maybe a five out of ten but you could say six and you're always going to get a decent performance and in recent games um, against teams that are not so hideously expensive it's been all right there's not really been a a massive problem with him being there so Mm. um I did write down the words, we need to sign a left-back in the first half, though. I think we need to sign a left-back, don't you? Expensive, though, aren't they, generally speaking? How much was, how much was Chelsea's? 50? Yeah, it was a lot. 5 me. million or something Maybe like that? Maybe don't take that as the baseline. Find out how, how much Burnley paid for their left-back. <laughs> how much was he? Charlie fucking Taylor. Maybe oh. maybe we do. Get Charlie Taylor in. He'll, he'll have to move back to a big club at some point. Um, yeah, I mean, let's see how... Uh, Stuart Dallas gets on when he gets back there because I think that's the thing to remember as well that we are um, we're not we're, we're not creative enough at the moment because um, Rodrigo's on the bench Pablo's injured Click is you know doing a decent job at, at 10 but Dallas isn't a central midfielder either and he's doing Click's job so I think we miss Click doing Click's job and then we don't have that creative intent behind Bamford and when Rodrigo came on I instantly thought there's a player who would get into Chelsea's team. Probably not first choice because it's not expensive enough. Lampard would complain. He's like, I wanted to play 60 mil. He was well, only 30 mil. To be fair, if Chelsea had have inquired, he would have been 60 mil. True. But he did suddenly have the, the quality. I thought he could play for them. Whereas the, the, they wouldn't want Alioski. <laughs> Bless them. Let's, but that's why yeah, you know right. Chelsea is such a soulless, horrible husk of a club managed by a dickhead. Um Let's talk about the wide men. Rafinha showed a bit of the sauce in the first half, faded in the second half when Chelsea changed their shape and went on to dominate the game. But some really nice stuff, I thought. Some, and I and I enjoyed him just booting someone in injury time as well. Yeah, the frustrated yellow card. Always nice to see, isn't it, when you've when you've lost the game. Yeah, he's got something, hasn't he? He does he some of the stuff he does in really, really tight spaces 
he's unbelievable. He's better than anyone else at that kind of stuff. Well, it's funny, going back to Alioski, we had a conversation in the first half, didn't we, Michael, where we were saying, oh, bloody hell, what's he doing? And taking the piss out of his lack of ability sometimes. But we said, if we were up against him, like imagine if we were playing football with him, he would absolutely <laughs> rinse us, wouldn't he? He'd make us look stupid. So we, we, we say this from a position of knowing our own place in the world. Yeah, there's absolutely levels. And we're at one end and some of Chelsea's expensive players are probably at the other. And Alioski's in the middle and he does fine there. I, like, as, like Moscow says with Alioski, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to keep him around. I think maybe we, because of the way he starts games sometimes and some of the slightly more eccentric things he does, we underestimate him as a player as well because he has come on and changed games in the past, admittedly in the championship, but sometimes we bring him on and you'd think, why is Bielsa bringing him on? It doesn't seem like the right thing, but then he'd inject a load of energy and sort of madness to a game and it would <laughs> it would actually turn it for us. So He's a worker. He's a classic Howard Wilkinson player. He would love somebody who would just sit on the bench, come on, run his arse off, and then go home and never give you any problems either. That was kind of his, uh, um, one of the things he used to say about Chris Fairclough, low maintenance, high performance. That's what he wants. And you don't necessarily get the high performance from Gianni Alioski, but you get the low maintenance. And that means he's he's worth it having around. He's never going to be kicking off, banging the manager's door down, going, you know, Bielsa, you should put me in the team. Get all those players out. Who's this Rafinha that you're signing? No, he'll just, he'll just do his job all the time. He's a Yaris. <laughs> a Yaris of a footballer. Let's talk about the other wing then. And Jackie Haradona really seems to have gone off the boil a little bit in the, in the last few games. Is it the opponents? Is he just not quite got his flow at the minute? Because he started the season really well, but he's just not quite got into the last couple of games. We were just saying that in the game and then he did probably his best touch of the game. I think he played clicking down the left-hand side. Yeah, and he had a beautiful first touch just before that as well. It was absolute classic Haradona. Maybe it's not that he's he's not decent or doing good things. He's just not doing stuff that we necessarily sit up and take notice of. Adam Pope has something to share on this subject from Marcelo Bielsa's press conference one minute ago, which is how live this is, um, on bringing Perveda on for Harrison. Bielsa said, Perveda is a dribbler who likes the ball into feet. Harrison is a player who likes to receive the ball in behind. So maybe that's the um, the deal with it, is that, I mean, we weren't really playing many balls in behind because we couldn't get all the ball. Whereas you can ping the ball at Perveda and he'll get fouled and win a penalty that won't be given. So there's kind of, there's a, an element of um, of not necessarily playing to Harrison's strengths lately and probably today that would have been a lot to do with the opponents that we were up against. He just, you know, two years ago he was failing at Middlesbrough, wasn't he? And um, about to be cast out. I mean, he's still, he's Manchester City keep trying to cast him out and we were just like, mm. <laughs> just we'll have him for a bit and we'll see how it goes and um, and like everybody I think we we need to remember all of those players there isn't a single player we have who isn't trying to prove themselves at this level and that includes um, Llorente who we've only just signed and Rafinha um, who we've only just signed and there's, there's still that feeling for me um, that we'll hammer Chelsea at Elland Road when we play them in what is it March because oh. we'll be so much better than we are now I hope so, because it is very much a work in progress, both on a kind of a, a team level and on an individual level. They are still all learning about the Premier League and it won't maybe be until they've faced certain opponents two, three, four times over a couple of years, you know, hopefully we'll stay up um, for us to do that, that they'll really learn what each individual striker is about. And there's no reason to think we won't stay up. And if we look at the results against good teams, I mean, we beat Liverpool, that was unexpected. <laughs> we got a point off Man City. And then we we lost to Chelsea. And if we we looked at those results against the they're the top three from last season, 
it's not unreasonable. And I know we didn't beat Liverpool, but we did score three times against them and give them a real fright. And the Man City performance was even in. As I was saying before, I know Chelsea kind of just dominated the second half, but they only scored from a corner. And again, I'm not counting the third, but that was it. I don't know if you know, but it does count towards the match result. But it, it was injury time, wasn't it? When did they score? It was the yeah, it was, it was 93rd minute. 93rd minute. So goals like that are just a... And Bielsa did this the other week where he was going through the goals scored against us. Where he was like, no, all these goals don't count just because there's nothing you can do about those goals. Don't even think about them. Um, so it was just one from a corner and the rest of the time, although they, they dominated, you know, they couldn't beat Melier. So, um, and then the first half, everybody looked at the end of the first half and thought that, well, this game could go either way in the second half. And that feels like a comfortable place for a team out of the championship to be. Look at fucking Fulham. Look at West Brom and laugh. Yeah. And look at Frank Lampard's bold spot. <laughs> I mean, I think the the tweet from Footy Accumulators is the one that summed it up best for tonight, which was the one that said, Pulisic, 58 million quid, Leeds starting 11 tonight, 48 million quid. So that that's it does tell a story, doesn't it? And that's not making excuses for why we lost, but it very much explains why we did. Yeah. As I said before, Giroud is a very, very good striker and he will score a goal. As he did, he scored four against Sevilla, didn't he? And Sevilla in the well, the Champions League, wasn't it? So they they're better than us. He scored four against them. He only scored one against us. So what does that tell you? We're four times better than Sevilla. We're on we're on course to be, and we'll be we'll be fine. All right, then let's wrap it up with heroes and villains. So are we going for Kevin Friend as a villain tonight for not giving that penalty, or VAR, whoever's responsible for that shit show? The whole shit show. Yeah, all the dickheads watching it on television. It is worth pointing out, let me just find this tweet that I've just seen, that Kevin Friend gave the penalty against, uh, was it Robertson last week for Liverpool for the same thing, has just said that that wasn't a penalty for us. So, um, again, well, he's a, either a liar or a cheat. Well, as uh, Dean Coombs, who's tweeted, uh, tweeted this, has said, again, VAR isn't the problem, it's the people operating it. But, you know, here we are. Never forget, Keith Stroud is a referee. That's very true. Um, and that's probably all we should say about Keith Stroud. For uh, everything else is unproven for for legal reasons. So, um, yeah, heroes and villains. Who we got? Well, Moscow saying the people watching it on telly were were dreadful. The people in the stadium were even worse. I only meant the referees. I mean, we were watching it on telly, and if you're a Leeds fan watching it, you're fine. I only meant the the VAR people. But yes, the, should we the Chelsea crowd shut down Stamford Bridge again? I'd get that whole what is it a metropolis? Get it into tier three. We're in tier three. We can't go. Why should they go? It's not fair. And they'd spoil it for themselves. Take it off them. <laughs> they can have all the fucking Scotch eggs they want, but they can't watch Chelsea. I think that's fair. What else then? Who else? And any heroes? I quite enjoyed. He faded a bit in the second half, but to begin with, I thought Phillips was doing very well again. And the ball he played through to Bamford was nice. So him. Phillips was fantastic, actually. I'd, I'll take it back when I said um, Rodrigo looked like the only player who could play for Chelsea. Um, but obviously... No money on earth could sign Calvin Phillips for Chelsea, but yeah, and and Melier, who they probably will will tr- will actually try to. Well, sign they need a new goalkeeper, Monday. don't they? Yeah, <laughs> it's been a few weeks since they've had one. Any more, or should we wrap um, up there? Villains as well. Oh, the the fixture people. Match of the day starting now. We're recording this. It's a Saturday night. It's well, weird, isn't it? It's all wrong. Do you want to watch it? Bearing in mind the results today, I mean Leeds lost, and then what else oh, happened? Scum one didn't as well. But you know, yeah, it's just wrong that was that a game's just finished on a Saturday night at this point. And to talk about uh, where we are as well, wasn't the other. Result today in the Premier League, yeah, Manchester City 2, Fulham 0. That's what happens. Yeah. That's it. Manchester City 2, Fulham 0. Fulham didn't even score. They were two down within about 
25 minutes as well in that pointless one. game over and you could watch Burnley versus Everton but they put Nick Pope back in goal so it was only 1-1 so there's not even any entertainment to be had there so boring don't worry about it don't sweat it then on to West Ham yeah yeah I mean if, if Scum can beat them we fucking can is that who we play next is it it is yeah and that'll be one to rub in Frank Lampard's bold spot as well if we can't beat Chelsea we'll go beat and beat his real love <laughs> okay alright then we're fine aren't we we're fine I mean I don't think other promoted teams would be upset about losing at Chelsea and we're only a bit upset about it. If we won, I'd be so happy. I think that's the thing. It's it's that we've lost the uh, the tears of Lampard tonight, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's what was uh, the big hope. But maybe he'll still be there in March and we'll definitely beat them then. Let's hope so. Then we'll be back with the regular podcast start of next week. We'll catch you in a bit. See you soon. Bye-bye. The March Ball. 